Welcome to the New Man Podcast, a show for brave men to experience freedom in their faith, sexuality, and relationships. The goal? goal? To provide practical tools and timeless principles that help you become the man you were made to be. And now, your host, Sathya Sam. What's up, everybody? It's Sathya Sam here, and welcome to the New Man Podcast. So good to have you here today. And, you know, it's been really interesting um, because as I've gotten further into this podcast, I've started batch producing my content. So it kind of started out with like every day I'd just sneak away and for 30 minutes I'd hit record and, you know, um, try to cram as much as I can in there while still giving me like five minutes to just process it, produce it, upload it. You know, it was like a little bit of a kind of a hack job. And um, I have a little bit more time to dedicate to the podcast now. So um, I'm batching the content, which has been really good. You know, it just gives me a chance to prepare more. I feel less rushed. Um, You know, everything about the process is better, except when you record every single day, I guess for me, I feel like, oh, I'm I'm talking to you guys every single day. And it's a little bit funny doing these pre-recorded far out in advance. So Um, You know, just learning and growing here and making uh, adjustments every step of the way as I uh, grow the podcast more. So um, that's kind of what I'm processing personally. But thank you so much for listening and a big thanks to those of you who have given me uh, feedback, ratings, reviews. They all help. And we're really on a mission here to see the whole world uh, transformed. I know that sounds like a cliche kind of blanket statement, but I really do believe that if the men of this world would walk with integrity and confidence that we would we would see the world completely change. We'd see it turned upside down. And, uh, and that's what Deep Clean and uh, the New Man podcast are all about. Today's episode, we are talking about uh, a really interesting subject and one that I've been, you know, kind of hitting on a little bit in my, in my newsletter. Um, I'm, I probably touched on it maybe in a couple podcast, podcast episodes, but I really wanted to get into it today. And it's just a simple question. How do I know if I'm addicted to porn? Now, this is a really funny question because uh, you, could, you could ask this for just about any other typical addiction. Like, uh, how do I know if I'm addicted to alcohol? And there's sort of this, uh, this diagnostic criteria. How do I know if I'm addicted to drugs, uh, to gambling, to video games? Uh, these are all recognized addictions. Yet pornography addiction it has not been acknowledged by the DSM-5, which is the most recent version of um, the diagnostic, um, oh gosh, I forget the name of it or what exactly it stands for. But the DSM is the, it's the Bible of psychiatry. It's the, sorry, it's the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. So it is what all psychiatrists will use as a guidebook for what they can actually diagnose, what they're, what they're legally allowed to diagnose. They do not paint outside the lines as far as I understand. The DSM kind of dictates what is diagnosable and what is not. And the, the fifth version of the DSM came out recently. We're talking, um, uh, I, don't, I don't remember exactly when, but in, within, the last, uh, within the last eight to 10 years. And, um, and in that time, so much has happened, obviously since, but even then they were, you know, they, they explored a bunch of these different, uh, I guess the digital kind of addictions that have come up like video games, social media, 
And unfortunately, at the time, there was not enough criteria for them to say, yeah, porn addiction is a legitimate thing. And we're going to actually get into all of that because um, they, they tested porn addiction against a, a few specific criteria. And they decided like, oh, porn, porn addiction does not match enough of these criteria for us to, to diagnose it or to classify it. And um, I, I have a different opinion. And I think uh, a lot of people in this space would. And to be honest, I think that same committee of people, if they were to get together again, whenever they release the DSM-6, which will still be probably a little ways away, um, I, I, I hope that they give it a, a little bit more consideration and hopefully there's more research as well. And, and, and that's the other point that I wanted to make just before I get into this, which is that the research out there is, is not very good. It's not strong. Um, this is just not a well-funded area. And research does require funding. You know, I, I did research in a biology lab for a couple of years during my undergrad, and we were studying uh, plants. As Well, we were actually studying algae. They're called diatoms. And um, really, really fascinating research, actually. But uh, again, these guys had uh, very little funding compared to some of the other places. And of course, research doesn't generate revenue. Um, it, it's it's the, the books and it's the supplementary elements, that's where you generate revenue. But most researchers did not get into research to do that kind of thing. So they rely on funding from, you know, big research organizations, the government, and whatever else. And so if you're researching an area that the government or these, you know, these funding companies don't have an interest in, well, then you can only go so far. And and that is the case with porn addiction. Now, we have made uh, leaps and we're leaps and bounds ahead of where we were before. We've, we've made some great progress and I think we will continue to see more progress in the days ahead, but it's slow starting. So um, I don't have an official criteria um, and I, I haven't formulated necessarily my own screening process for deciding whether or not somebody is addicted. But um, instead of what, I, what I've done today is just I found a couple really good resources that I liked. I felt like they were comprehensive. They um, they at least touched on some important elements. And we're going to try to mix everything together and come up with uh, some some things that you can look at to determine whether or not you're addicted to porn. Now, I, I will start by just saying this this podcast episode, what we provide here should not be considered medical or even professional advice. And that, of course, is for everything that I've laid out so far. Um, porn addiction is not an official diagnosis. It, it, it's not something that would be recognized uh, by a psychiatrist. But it, it's becoming very clear that the way people engage with porn, both men and women, follow behavioral patterns, both, uh, sorry, behavioral patterns and brain patterns that parallel that of other addictions of people who struggle with alcohol drugs and whatever else so that's that's just a little bit of uh, a little bit of background and a little bit of criteria to get started here um you know in, in essence the, the essence of addiction really is that you have something um a substance or a behavior that you cannot live without uh, that that you are not able to go uh, any kind of really extended period of time without and if you were you experience withdrawal symptoms. Now we're going to actually talk about um, the, the criteria that the DSM look for to classify an addiction and where there might be some parallels in a, a pornography context. But um, but as a starting point, you know, addiction is just simply that it's 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 a substance or behavior that you must have. Now there are two categories of addiction, uh, generally speaking. 
Um, one is substance abuse. So that is the use of drugs and alcohol primarily. Uh, there might be some other substances out there, although I'm not, I'm not as familiar with them. And then there's what they call uh, process addictions or behavioral addictions. And those are things like gambling, video games, and, and I personally believe pornography. So in the DSM-5, I, I didn't mention this, but gambling is recognized as a diagnosable medical condition as is video game addiction. So uh, obviously like we're, we're making some progress here. Uh, there's at least a framework for behavioral diagnoses. And then of course for video games to be diagnosed as an addiction, or sorry, for video game uh, addiction to be recognized as a diagnosis, it says something and it tells us we're, we're probably heading in the direction where you're gonna see things like social media, uh, phone addictions, and hopefully porn addiction as well. Now uh, one, one website I found that I thought was actually quite helpful um, is, I'm just pulling it up here. Um, oh yeah, it's right here. So these guys have, have kind of laid out um, the, the three categories of porn viewers. And, um, and it's really interesting because they have, they have intentionally left out the word addiction, which I think is probably wise on their part, um, just because again, from a, the sort of Bible of psychiatric conditions or, or psychological conditions, we don't have uh, we don't have an official framework for porn addiction. Um, but they they acknowledge uh, three different types of porn viewers or porn users. So the first one is recreational viewers. Now this website, which is therecoveryvillage.com, they say that seventy five point five percent of people who watch porn are recreational viewers. That's according to a recent study that they cross-referenced. I haven't looked into that study that much myself, and so um, any stats you see on the internet, you, you really need to vet them to make sure that they're actually legitimate. So I'm, I'm not holding that one too closely to my heart, um, especially because I don't, know, I don't know what the criteria were for how they did it, if it was survey or if it was purely data-based. Um, and just what the different measures were involved in their uh, calculations there. But recreational viewers, I do think that's a legitimate category. I do think there are people who watch occasionally. Um, maybe they watch it to take the edge off, or they might watch it um, to you know spice up their sex life. That's actually you know much more common than you would think. So recreational viewers is a legitimate category. I, I've witnessed that certainly in my own clientele. We don't really work with people who are in this category um, because they don't, they don't necessarily need professional intervention. Uh, second type of porn viewer, porn user, uh, the Recovery Village has termed them highly distressed, non-compulsive viewers. A lot of terms in there, highly distressed, non-compulsive viewers. So uh, according to, again, some more research here, 12.7% of people who watch porn are in this category. And these people who, um, or these are people who watch an average of 17 minutes per week, but their pornography use is unhealthy and it's troubling to them. Now, I think that number's a little bit low. Um, I was a little bit surprised when I saw that, given like the strong language of the categorization, highly distressed, non-compulsive, um, but I suppose if it was, you know, any kind of higher number of minutes per week, maybe then it becomes compulsive. I don't know. Um, but the point here is that this is when people are watching um, out of uh, the keyword, there's highly distressed. They, they are watching to, uh, to improve their lives, to take the edge off. Um, they, they are doing it to medicate some issue in their life that is causing distress. 
And I personally would, would have categorized myself probably here for a majority of my struggle. I struggled for 15 years with porn, porn addiction. There I go using that term, um, which I, I mean, I use that term pretty openly anyway. But, um, but yeah, um, I would say a majority of it, I was in this highly distressed, non-compulsive viewer category. You know, the first few years probably started off more recreationally, but eventually it became highly distressed, non-compulsive. So what that meant is I, I would watch porn regularly. It was unhealthy and it was troubling to me on a spiritual front and then eventually on a personal front. It started to affect my self-esteem, the way I built connections with other people, my time usage, and really it was a coping mechanism for stress. So I was a highly distressed viewer. Uh, it just it helped me take the edge off. Um, and I would say that I had uh, bouts of this third category, which I think one day will become a porn addicts and, and a formal diagnosis of porn addiction. Uh, but the recoveryvillage.com calls it compulsive porn viewers. And this is 11.8% of people who view porn. And it's people that watch an average of 110 minutes of porn per week. Now remember, that's on average. So you may look at your last week and say, Oh, I wasn't even close to that. That's just under two hours. I wasn't close to that. But it's it's on average. So if you binge, and you know, the weeks that you binge are like 300 minutes, like you watch hours after hour after hour of porn, um, and then you're clean for a couple weeks. Well, actually it probably balances out to about 110 minutes of porn per week. So compulsive porn viewers. Um, now this is, uh, this is a really interesting, the, the language is really interesting, I guess in the sense that compulsive means like you have to, uh, you have to do this to stay afloat. Uh, you kind of, feel, um, you feel withdrawal symptoms or you, you can't stop yourself. Um, and it then really starts to impair your daily functioning. So this is where you're, uh, you're saying no to hanging out with friends because you have something or something came up and really you just want to watch porn. Um, it, it's, it's that kind of thing. And so I, I would say I dabbled in this category. Um, I don't think it necessarily got quite that far for a majority of the 15 years. And I'm grateful for that. Um, but this is a, a legitimate category and it is growing. And I've, I've witnessed it in my practice even in the last year where our, our influx of clientele has just skyrocketed uh, because people are stuck at home and they're resorting to porn more. And now, you know, it's, it's funny, like you think, oh, the restrictions have lifted, things are returning back to normal, but we have all these habits still that we've, that we created during the pandemic that most people are gonna spend another two to three years simply to unwind uh, and to adjust. So uh, this category is going to grow. It probably has grown tremendously um, and it will grow in the days ahead. And you know, another thing about porn addiction, like any addiction is, um, it's, it's always gonna be, uh, I guess, associated with shame, with privacy or secrecy. Uh, you know, we've, we've seen this across the board with people who are uh, addicted to alcohol or drugs or anything else. But porn, I would say, it exacerbates all of those dynamics. It's more private, it's more secret, there's more shame associated with it. It affects people's sexuality, which is just so core to their identity and their sense of self. And so um, it's gonna be hard to get really good data on porn addiction. And that, that could be another thing that delays its classification as a recognized, diagnosable condition by the DSM. So. Um, so we're making we're making progress, but again, it, it could take some time to get there. Um, now let me uh, let me pull up the cat uh, the criteria rather um, that the DSM looks for 
when they are classifying an addiction. So uh, let me let me actually let me actually just give a little bit more background. These are the same criteria that are used for people who um, who get diagnosed with all the other addictions we've mentioned, and uh, the the disorder only needs to meet two of the following five criteria. So there's five here. It only needs to meet two of these five. Okay. Now, um, the way the language I'm using here is um, is around drugs or alcohol usage. Okay. So, um, so in the DSM, a person can be diagnosed with a substance use disorder when they meet uh, two or more of the following criteria. A person uses drugs or alcohol in large amounts or over a large period of time than needed. Okay. So we're talking about quantity here and kind of a, a binge, a binge sort of idea. Number two, the person feels an ongoing desire to stop, reduce, or control. Um, Number three, sorry, I did not finish that. Uh, The person feels an ongoing desire to stop, reduce, or control their use of drugs or alcohol. Number three, a person spends a great deal of time to obtain drugs or alcohol or recover from them. Okay, so to either get them or afterwards to kind of, um, you know, get your bearings back. Number four, the person using a substance feels strong cravings to use it that require a significant effort to resist. Number five, a person continues to use a substance despite its negative effects on their work, home life, or physical health. Now, this is crazy. When you really, when you read through this, you're like, porn, at least for me, I think porn usage ticks a lot of these boxes. Um, And the people at Recovery Village have made note of this as well. these are some of the, the points that they made if you want to informally diagnose a person with porn addiction. Um, some of the things that you would be looking for are the following. And these are things that maybe you need to examine in your own life because uh, if they exist, then you might be dealing with a porn addiction as well. Uh, number one, using porn in greater amounts or over long periods of time. So in other words, you, you start to watch a little bit, then a little bit more, then a little bit more, a little bit more. Um, and maybe it's just... Uh, quick views originally, and then you start spending more time on it. So either the frequency or the duration of the consumption increases. Number two, trying to stop using porn and not being able to. So this is a a very classic sign of, of any kind of addiction is you try to stop and you cannot. Number three, having difficulty controlling porn use. Um, Now, this is kind of equated with like a person who spends a great deal of time to obtain their substance or to recover from them. And again, it's going to take a long time for research to catch up. But what I witnessed and what I experienced in my own life is that after a, a binge, it takes time to get your mood back. It takes time to be ready to engage with people again. It takes time to just feel like yourself. So I think that's absolutely a part of this here. And um, again, it might take some time before the medical world acknowledges that, but um, I think it's very much a part of the experience. Number four, using porn in situations that might impose physical risks. Now, I'm, I'm um, I'm gonna actually eliminate the word physical, but just say risks. It could be, uh, you know, showing up to work on time, completing uh, a project. It could be uh, just, it could be simple things like that. But the point is that porn, um, porn in some way affects your ability to perform and sometimes imposes risks to your own well-being one way or another. Um, And the fifth point that they have here, which is, uh, I think, kind of tying into that, continuing to use porn despite the negative effects on work or relationships. So that's where you see the damage that it's causing and you continue to, uh, to use it. Now, I'm, I wanted to just mention 
uh, two more things, and this probably ties in better to, uh, to the DSM criteria. And this is from the website verywellmind.com, and they had a, a great article here. But they talked about the viewing behavior of somebody who compulsively engages with porn uh, would meet at least two of these uh, clinical conditions that the DSM is looking for. And the way they explain it is cravings to partake in an activity as well as failed attempts to cut down or control the activity. So um, impaired control is the clinical term there. And the failure to complete major tasks at work, school, or home and or have given up trying, uh, which they refer to as social problems. So again, that's kind of a, a good summation of what we were reading on the uh, the other website there as well. But um, all is to say is that, you know, it's going to take time probably before this is recognized. But it's very clear when you kind of read uh, about what the DSM looks for in an addiction. And it, it's really only just a matter of time before porn addiction gets categorized. Now, uh, unfortunately, that means that there's going to be lots of people who struggle, who will not get the medical attention they need. But in the meantime, there are lots of services out there that are helping people. Uh, You can start Googling and researching, uh, listening to more podcasts. There's lots of ways to still get educated on what we do know so far. And that's what Deep Clean is all about. We've basically taken what's out there. We've taken my own experience. Uh, We've also taken scripture and we've kind of married everything together to come up with a comprehensive solution that resolves the root issues of porn and masturbation. And that is no different than any other addiction. Uh, Alcohol, gambling, drugs, uh, video games. I mean, it doesn't matter if you want to really recover from addiction. You can't just uh, keep the alcohol addict away from the bar. That is step one. But step two is figuring out what's really going on underneath the surface. It's resolving those roots. And in doing so, you then pave a way for them to find better options to deal with their pain, to deal with the the stressors in life, and avoid the substance or the behavior as a result. And that is really the the best way to recover from porn as well. So uh, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, okay, I, I think I might be addicted or you know somebody who's addicted, don't waste another minute. I mean, you got to start getting into resources right away. So especially if you're the person who is addicted, I want to encourage you, reach out to somebody. Uh, that That is where everything starts. You're not going to figure this out on your own. Um, I certainly didn't, and I don't know anybody who got free on their own. Um, but I know a myriad of people who, when they started to speak out, find trusted people, and really share about this part of their life, start to experience tremendous healing, and eventually complete freedom. So um, a much more sort of educational, informative kind of episode today, but I hope it gives you uh, a little bit of an understanding of kind of where we are even in the medical world in regards to porn addiction uh, and what we do at least know a little bit about so far. And hey, it's all the more reason for us to keep uh, talking about it, to keep pushing it and keep making uh, some of these really influential bodies aware of, of pornography and its impact, its adverse impact on our well-being. So um, I hope that helped. And lastly, I'll just say that if you uh, if you want some help uh, and you're looking for some more resources, I encourage you to go through the podcast. Um, you can do a little search for any subjects in particular that you're interested in. We also have a blog as well where we cover a lot of similar topics and some different sub- topics as well. And uh, that's a great chance for you to uh, just to get informed and to get some of the help that you absolutely deserve. So thank you guys so much for listening. If you want more great content like this, please subscribe. And you can also go to my website, www.sathiasam.com. Scroll to the bottom. You can sign up for my newsletter, my weekly newsletter, where we give the latest 
insights and inspiration to help you live a life of integrity and confidence. Thank you so much for listening. Have an awesome day. Thanks for listening to the New Man Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, you can share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, please sign up for the weekly newsletter at www.sathiasam.com or follow on Instagram at Sam. Thanks again and see you next time.